I said, are you guys going on a cruise together? Uh, it was a simple enough question, one really that was fostered by a, a simple curiosity, or at least a mild curiosity, in response to a conversation that I had, I guess, eavesdropped on a little bit. But, but as soon as I said that, Jim's eyes lit up. He turned to me, a big smile on his face. He, face, he took a big breath and started talking. And, and he began to tell me about the trip that he and Dan and their wives were taking. They were flying to Rio de Janeiro, then they were going to stay there a few days, and, and, and then they were going to uh, get on a cruise ship and, and cruise for two weeks around the southern tip of South America, all the way back up to Chile and stay there a couple days. All this while I'd finished getting dressed in the locker room at the, the Y and was inching my way to the door, but, but I'd opened the door, I'd asked the question, and uh, uh, Jim just kept talking and talking. He told me about their, their flight times and their itineraries and the day trips that they were going to take and the meals that they had planned. Oh, and he just kept, but I'd opened the door and he took the shot. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe, uh, maybe you've asked that question of someone and, and they've just uh, uh, unloaded. Or, or maybe the other way around. Maybe someone's asked you about your job or about your grandkids or, or about your hobby or about your, your favorite team. And the door was open and so you took advantage of the opportunity. That's kind of what was happening or kind of what, what it's like in Mark chapter 12. Uh, and it's what happened to Jesus. See, a man approached Jesus and he asked him a theological question. He asked him a question and Jesus could have ran with this and gone a, a number of different directions. He could have waxed eloquent on several different topics. He could have, he could have thought, well, let me pull out that old sermon, uh, the the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That was a great sermon. Let me, let me lay that sermon on. Or he could have thought about dozens and dozens of parables that he had used, and he could have used those. Or he might even have thought, you know what, I've been working on on this teaching, and here's a good time, and, and I'll give the teaching right now. The, the door was wide open to talk about any and everything. Instead, Jesus gave, gives a simple yet profound response to this teacher of the law. His response is what's going to be our motivation or what's going to be our backdrop for our theme for this year. Uh, and, and his answer, if you want to just boil it down, simply was this. Love God, love others. Today we're starting a, a series on the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark for, uh, for, for several weeks or, or a few months anyway. Uh, but we start today in Mark chapter 12. We'll move back to chapter 1 next week. But in Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles... Uh, uh, with you today, and I'd encourage you to, to bring those with you. Uh, open them to Mark 12, and we're going to start in verse 28 and read down through, thir- through verse 34. In verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now, now he was listening to a debate that Jesus had had with some Sadducees. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, let me just stop right there. We'll, we'll look at those other verses a little bit later. Jesus uh, had been debating these religious leaders, these Sadducees, and this guy overheard what, what Jesus said. And, and I really believe that he came to Jesus, and we'll... we'll We'll give a proof text of this in a minute. I believe he came to Jesus with, with an open heart and a sincere desire 
to know what Jesus thought. So when he asked the question, I don't think he was trying to trick Jesus. I think he really wanted to know. And, and what he asked him was this, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, which is the most important? Now, now you have to understand there were, there were probably or possibly some other things that were going on kind of in the, in, in the, uh, behind the scenes on this. Uh, at this time, there were 613 theologians tell us, 613 commandments that the religious leaders had identified. And there were, there were kind of two, two camps. One camp was this, that every command had equal weight. No matter which command it was, whether it was thou shalt not commit murder to, to the smallest thing that you wash your hands before you eat type, type deal. All the commands were exactly the same or carried the same amount of weight. If you broke one, it was just like breaking any of the others. The other side or the other camp was this, that, that you could judge. Some, some laws were more important than others. Some were weightier and had more value to them than others. So, so when he asked Jesus this question, uh, what, what's the greatest commandment? It could have been coming, and I think it was, at least part of his question came from that, that bent. Kind of Jesus, what, what's your take on that? But I believe that he also, also was wanting to know what Jesus really thought about this, this heart question. I think he genuinely wanted to know Jesus' take. Uh, in fact, I think we see that how it ends up. Uh, later on in that text, it says this. Uh, he, he responds, well, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no one but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and he adds this tagline to it, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. If, if we kept reading there, then Jesus ends up telling him, hey, you're not far from the kingdom. You're, you're getting it. You're figuring this out. So I think he came to Jesus and he said, what, what's the greatest commandment? What, what he was really saying, what he really wanted to know was this. Jesus, what's, what's the meaning? What's the meaning of my life? What's, what's the secret to life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And, and this is what Jesus said. This was Jesus' response. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And as he said these words, I'm sure this teacher of the law, as Jesus said, well, here's the, here it is, love the Lord. And I'm sure this guy said, stood there and nodded along because he knew that verse. In fact, every morning when this teacher of the law got up, as per tradition, uh, every morning when he got up, the first thing he did was say, Hear, O Israel, Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your, your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every night before he went to bed, the last thing he said before he lay his head on the pillow was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, he, he, he knew this verse, and he knew the value of that verse. He, he was answering this Guy's question, what's the greatest commandment? But Jesus was also, now, and I don't miss this, it's, it's pivotal, it's foundational, it's life-changing. Jesus was also speaking truth into our reality. And, and this is our reality. Whether we are open as this teacher was and we verbalize that question, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Or, or what's life about? What's the meaning? What's my, whether we verbalize it or not, Every one of us, when we get up in the morning and when we lay our head 
uh, on the pillow at night have asked ourselves in some way, uh, maybe it's been in the back of our mind, maybe it's just been an uneasy, uneasiness in our, in our spirit, in our heart, in our, our walk during the day, but every one of us has asked that question, what's the greatest commandment? Now, we don't say it that way. We don't think it that way. We really think it, why, why am I here? What's the meaning of all this? What's, what's my purpose? Jesus answers this question for this guy and, and then also then answers our questions uh, in this text in Matthew. And he does it, he does it in, in two ways. Here's the first thing. He defines our purpose. Now, I'll point this out. I, I made a mistake on our uh, outline today. Uh, so there's some things that aren't right on that. It's my fault. I sent it to Tanya wrong. So if you notice some things weird, that's, that's on me. But the first thing is it defines our purpose. And here's the first thing he says. We are to love God. Our, our goal this year, in fact, what, what I would, would ask of you as a church, uh, as individuals, I would ask that, I would solicit that you be in prayer, that, that, that you be in prayer for the church, that you be in prayer for the leaders, that you be in prayer for me, that everything that we do is put up against the backdrop of this simple answer, love God and love others. That's going to be my goal for the year, the goal of our leadership and the goal of this church, that everything we do comes from that verse, from from that simple yet profound answer that Jesus gave that defines our purpose, love God, Love our, uh, love, love others. Our purpose is defined, first of all, in a person. Now, not an individual, but in the personhood of God. Now, remember earlier I said that this teacher of the law would say this verse every morning when he got up. He would, uh, he would say, uh, uh, the Lord, uh, uh, hero is with the Lord. The Lord your God is one. I love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That was, that was a, a section of scripture called the Shema. Shema is Hebrew for here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, hold Mark open, but turn with me over to Deuteronomy, or excuse me, back to, to Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bibles, this is going to be uh, some verses that you want to underline. In fact, I would encourage you, uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, over the next weeks, uh, well, moving forward, bring your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark. There are going to be some wonderful verses that come out in Mark that, that are going to be pivotal verses for you that, that you're going to want to have underlined in your Bible. Verses that are going to speak truth. Maybe, maybe some life verses for you might come from the Gospel of Mark. So bring your Bible so that you can underline those verses. If you have your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, fifth book of the, the Old Testament. It says there in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. Sounds familiar. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Again, I said this was a section of Scripture that was called the Shema. In fact, every, t- today in every synagogue across the world, they would start their ceremony, they would start their service off by reading these verses. This guy understood when Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? That to, to love God. To love God. Uh, th- that verse says they're, that they're to, to tie it on their hand and, and tie it, bind it on their forehead. That, that was called a phylactery. Um, they, they would take a little leather box and literally tie it on their forehead and in that little leather box, verses, and they would tie one on their, their left arm. And, and, and most people, every time they prayed in the morning, they would tie that on 
uh, their arm and on their forehead. Now, religious leaders, in fact, uh, in Matthew chapter 25, I believe, Jesus uh, condemns the, uh, the, the or Matthew 23, Jesus condemns the religious leaders because he said they make their phylacteries broad. That's what that box was called. So religious leaders would take that little box and they would make it really big and they'd walk around with that tight on their forehead so people could look and say, man, look at the size of the box that he's got on. He must really be pious. Actually, I think when God gave this instruction, it was more about bind it to your head because you need to remember. I need to be in your mind. Tie it to your arm because I need to be in your action in what you do. Um, but, but the heart of this teaching is this. Uh, right before Israel was to go into the promised land. So Deuteronomy takes place right before the book of Joshua when they go in and take the promised land. Moses gave a second reading of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means, a second law. He, he, he gave them a, a reading of the law where he reminded them what God had done for them. He talked about the laws and he reminded them that God was going to be with them, that God was going to direct them. And in this verse, he says, the Lord, your God, is one. What, what he was telling them, what, what God wanted them to know was that they were going into a land to take possession of it that was full of other gods. There were peoples there, and they had, they had hundreds of gods. They had, they had statues and, and idols, and they had big synagogues that were built for their, for their gods, and, and, and temples and structures and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. So God was reminding them, when you go into this promised land, remember there is only one God. The Lord, your God, the Lord is one. He was reminding them not to be tempted by the flashy idols in the temples dedicated to the many gods. And, and so God was saying to Israel, your, remember your purpose, it lies with me. If you want fulfillment, if you want to be whole, if you want life to make sense, if you want to understand your purpose, it starts with me. In other words, he says, keep your eyes on me. When I taught my boys how to drive, they were probably, probably first started driving at five or six. Now, I didn't hand them the keys and said, hey, could you run to Walmart and get something for me? Uh, what we'd do, we'd be coming back from Walmart, we'd pull across the, the highway onto old 59s, kind of a, an old road and hardly any traffic. We'd pull on there and I'd stop and, and one of the boys, you start out with Brian, would, would, would crawl over and sit on my lap. Now, I did the gas and I did the brake and, and that's legal, isn't it? You, you couldn't get arrested for that, could you? Um, <laughs> as long as you're doing over there or not in, in Highland, right? Um, and uh, so I put him in, in my lap. Now, my, of my three boys, uh, two of them did a pretty good job. Brian, when, when he crawled up on my lap and wanted to drive, he wanted to do, he wanted to do well. Uh, he, he, was, he, he was a perfectionist, and he's, he's very competitive, and he wanted to do a good job. He wanted Dad to be proud of him. And so he, he was 10 and 2, and he did that naturally. He, 10 and 2, and I mean, he drove as straight as you could as a little 5 or 6-year-old. He just... He concentrated the whole way. Caleb, our youngest, uh, was probably the least confident of the three. So when he grabbed the steering wheel, he grabbed hold of it hard because he was nervous. And, Dad, don't go so fast. But, but same thing, he never took his eyes off the road. Joel, on the other hand, our middle son, was a little different. When, when it was Joel's turn, 
As soon as I stopped the car and he knew it was his turn, he got this big old grin on his face. And he'd come over and he'd climb up. And can you remember that? Reed? He'd climb up on my lap. And he and at the time, braces did a wonderful job. But before braces, he kind of had a little buck tooth. And, and uh, those teeth just shined out. And he'd climb, and he just was grinning ear to ear. And, and I'd take off. And as soon as I did, Joe would look over at Mom and like, I'm driving. And, and he'd turn around and look at me like, man, this is fun. And, and he would be looking all around. He'd turn around the back seat, Brian, you know, and he probably saw this from his dad. He drove like this. Brian, I'm driving. And if we saw someone in a, in a yard, I mean, Joe would look down like, where's that horn? He'd honk the horn and just wave. I mean, he literally went from ditch to, now I was helping so we didn't actually hit the ditch, but he, he went down the road like this. Because he was just so sneaking excited, he, he never watched what he was going. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're told, told this. And this really is what he's talking about here. This is what, uh, this is what Moses, through God's inspiration, was talking about way back in, in Deuteronomy. This is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 12. But in Hebrews it says this, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on on him. Put your eyes on the God. Jesus speaks to us because it's so easy for us to let other things, other people, other situations become our God. See, that's what he feared for Israel. Boy, you're going to see all this other stuff and you're going to follow it. See, it's so easy for us to put uh, relaxation and uh, uh, fun and make that our God. It's so easy for us to make our job, our career, uh, our our job. It's so easy for us even to make our families our God. Or, or or we may go even in destructive areas and let alcohol or or pornography or drugs or bad relationships become our God. Jesus defines our purpose in this. He defines it in a purpose. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. Keep your eyes on him. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, some of you probably have read that, uh, says this, it is only in God that we discover our origin, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to dead ends. Contrary to what most popular books, movies, and seminars tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You probably tried that already. You didn't create yourself, so there's no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. Those verses define our purpose. And first first of all, it's in a person. It's in the person of God. But it's also in a practice. It's in what we do. We have to have an intensity about our love for God. We have to have an intensity about our desire to serve. And that's, that's why he says, he doesn't just de- describe it one way, but he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's talking about intensity there. It has to be on, on, on a line. It has to be on purpose. But we have to love God completely. Th- this past week, I, uh, uh, I visited uh, Rick and, and Laura Jeske uh, one, one evening. And while we were talking, I don't even know how it came up, but we began to talk about Rick's uh, aunt, uh, Mary Ruth, and, and uh, her and, and her husband, Jimmy. Now, I didn't have the privilege of knowing, knowing Jimmy like, like you all did, but but one of the things they said, this is how they described it, said, Man, Jimmy took care of her. 
said they did everything together. And, and he always took it back. One thing he said, just, just till, and Mary Ruth, hopefully I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, but she didn't know how to put gas in her car until a few years ago. Uh, Rita does, but she never puts the gas in the car. I don't understand that. But, uh, but he said she, he did everything for her. He, he, he really loved her. That's what, what they said. Now, how, how did he show that her that she was loved? Obviously, he valued her. He sacrificed for her. He honored her. And she was always, and, and what was important for her was always on his mind. Jesus defines our purpose in this way. We are called to love God. How do we love God? We value. We sacrifice. We honor. We have him always on our minds. It's been several years ago. I was visiting with my friend Rick Bruce. And uh, he, he was talking about going to pick up his grandkids. At the time, his son DJ lived in Manhattan. Uh, some of you know DJ. He owns uh, Willie's in, in, uh, in Ashton. His son DJ lived in Manhattan. And every weekend, Rick would drive to Manhattan and pick up his grandkids and take them home. And we were talking about that. And he said, he said yeah, I said, I love my grandkids. He said, I used to go to sleep at night thinking about my wife, Sheila. But he said, now I go to sleep at night thinking about my grandkids. Uh, and the truth is, I, I, I know that's true. Because I've seen how he loves his grandkids. They're on his mind. What, what's Jesus telling her? What's the greatest commandment? He says, let me define your purpose. You are here to love God. There's only one. Love the God. And you have to live with him. Our love then comes out of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And when we love God, it does the second thing. It doesn't just define our purpose. It also directs our passion. It directs our passion. Jesus, Jesus would have been fine to stop with that first verse. Uh, in, in fact, the, the religious teachers of the day, that's, that's pretty much where they stopped on their teaching. Jesus would have been fine. What's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your, your heart, soul, mind, strength. If he had stopped there, this guy would have been, wow, that's a good answer. Good job, Jesus. I appreciate that. But he didn't. He continued on and he said this. And the second one is like, is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He made the application that when you love God, it directs your passion to love others. Did you catch that? When we love God, we don't just love God, but it has to affect us. It has to move us. It has to push us forward. When we really love God, we don't just sit around and say, wow, I love God, and, and, and stop there. If we truly love God, Jesus is saying, it will direct your passion. Uh, so what he's saying is love others. Love God. We can't miss that. That's, that's first. That's important. We've we got to know who we're doing it for, what our motivation comes from. But, but it directs our passion then to love others. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are called... We're called to love others, but do you know where it starts? Uh, according to, to the Apostle Paul, where it starts is here. We have to start by loving one another in the church. We want the world to understand us. We have to love 
one another. Now, this is going to be a little bit odd, but if, hopefully you're here with a husband and wife and you can do it with them. But, but look to someone beside you, to your left, your right, front, behind, and just say to them, hey man, I love you. You're not ma- ma'am, I love you, Barbara. <laughs> okay, that was weird, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> Jesus says that loving, Jesus says that loving each other will be the mark of our faith. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to look at a verse uh, there. We're also going to look in the, the, the epistle of 1 John. John 13, 34 and 35. You probably know this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How, how is the world going to know that we, that, that we are his believers? How's the world going to know who God is? It says by loving one another. It's not by a sign that we put out in front of a building. It's not by wearing a, a cross necklace or, or an ichthus, a little fish around your, your neck. It's not by wearing a Christian t-shirt that says, follow me to my church or, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Those are all fine. That's not how they, how does the world know when we love one another? First John chapter 3, 16 to 18. These are another verses that you should have underlined in your Bibles. First John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with word and tongue, but with actions and in truth. Jesus, or John there is, is applying this. What's it mean? Love God, yeah, but, but love others as well. In 1 John chapter 4, kind of some cool verses. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. He's speaking passing here. Let us love one another. Church, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You can't say you know God and not have love in your heart. This is how God showed love, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is not love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now catch this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Did you catch that last verse? He he said there, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, it's made complete. You you know what he really means there? Did, Did you catch that meaning? If we love one another, people who have never seen God will see God. How, how, how do we church, how do we influence the world that God is love? It's by loving one another. For when we love one another, and as well love others, but when we love one another in the body of Christ, the world then sees God. Church, we're called to one to love one another, if we can just do that, if we can live the words of Jesus to love uh, our neighbor and, and have it start in the church, the world will see God. Can, can I issue a challenge to you today that we become proactive in loving one another? I, I love every morning I, w- I walk in church, and same with all of you. I, I walk in and, and Wilma's there to fist bump and give me a hug. Uh, it's always fun to watch someone that's never been here before because they're like, you know, but uh, of course, I did that way back in uh, April, when the first time we were here, and someone said, 
I think Rick said you got a fist bumper, and uh, then you're good. So, uh, but I love that. I love that 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 I get a big old smile and a fist bump and a hug. Um, let me make a suggestion to you. Now I know this is not your love language for some of you, and that's fine. It's not mine either. But can I just throw this out? Not, not to be contrived, not to be, not to be phony at all. But as a church, can can more of us look to do that? Now, and I'm not suggesting we line up down this aisle and someone comes in and they got to go through 20 people that fist bump and hug. Hey, that's our thing. Let, let's stay that with her. But, but literally, can we, can you realize that there's people here today that for some of them, if you reach over and give them a hug or a, a pat on the shoulder or you tell them how, how special they are, maybe you just, just tell them that you appreciate or that you love. For some people that are here today, that may be the only time that anyone spoke truth or, or, or positive things in their life. The, the reality is, church, that small thing, a hug and, and, and some speaking truth into someone's life, could be the only positive that someone has. One way that we can start to love one another and, and proactively build that spirit is to literally decide that's what I'm going to do. Now, I don't expect every one of you to start doing that. that. That may not be your thing. But you know what? If four or five of us do, if four or five of us just say, you know what, I'm going to pick someone and I'm going to hug it. And, and if they run from me, just chase them down and give them that hug anyway, because they're going to appreciate it. Maybe not the first month or year, but they'll eventually appreciate that hug. But if we would be proactive in doing that. Here, here's another thing, kind of a practical thing you might do. You, you might, when you walk in every Sunday, pick someone. Just pick one. You can do more than that, but pick someone that and, and write their name down, put it in your phone, uh, just put it back in their mind. I'm going to pray for them this week. Just pick someone. Say, I'm going to pray for them this week. And then next Sunday, you go up to them and just pat them on the back and say, I've been praying for you this week. You know, it used to have been on my heart, and I prayed for you this week. And, man, what a blessing. I, I had to, actually had that happen this week. Johnny texted me, I think, on Wednesday and said, hey, I'm praying for you today. Is there anything I can pray for you specifically? Uh, I said, well, I'm writing this sermon. So... <laughs> If it's a good sermon, thank Johnny. If it was bad, say, Johnny, you need to work on your prayer life, buddy. <laughs> but, but my, it meant a lot to me that, that he's, that he said, and I knew that day that someone was praying for me. Uh, maybe it's as simple as you, you, you've seen someone and, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to him this week. I'm gonna give him a phone call. I'm gonna send him a text. I'm gonna send him a, an email. I'm gonna send him a note. I, I, I'm gonna reach out to him some way. Or maybe you pay attention during prayer time, and, and they, they ask for prayers for someone. And so next week you ask them, well, last week you prayed, we, you asked to pray for your grandson. How, how did that turn out? You asked us to pray, you know, hey, for example, you asked to pray for Reeves. Hey, is Reeves doing, so you hit, hit the thumbs up next week. How, how's he doing? You know, there's so many small little things that we can do, that we can do that says, I love you. And when we start doing it in the body, when we start doing it in the body, how will that impact our culture? See, Scripture tells us, Jesus said it, John said it, that the way the world knows that we belong, the way the world sees God, is when we love one another. It starts in the church. We come each week and we are on mission. And our mission is to love someone. Pat them on the back, give them a hug, whatever it might be. Uh, we, we do that. It starts in the church, but it also extends into our world. Loving God should direct our passion to love one another. 
but it also directs our passion to love the world. And it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. Do we have any uh, deer hunters here? Any deer hunters? I'm going to pick on you, Rick. I got you once. I know Rick is. He said the other day. Do, do, just question. Do, and I didn't tell you ahead of time. Sorry. Uh, do you hunt out of a deer stand? You said you bow hunted, so I thought you did. I've been thinking about taking up deer hunting. <clears throat> Could you help me build a deer stand? Yeah. You know where I'm thinking about putting it is right across the street at the courthouse. They've got some big trees. It'd really be convenient. I come early to, to, to the church uh, during the week, and I could do a little deer hunt during season, of course. Uh, um, or really early, maybe not in season. I could, I could uh, uh, deer hunt, and, and if I don't get anything, I can just walk across the office and change clothes, and I'm ready for the day. Now, there's a problem with that. I probably wouldn't see many deer. Although, I think Trevor told me the other day that his dog chased a deer down, uh, down the street out here uh, not too long ago. So maybe I would catch a deer or shoot a deer. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a hunter. <laughs> uh, but if you're going to deer hunt, where do you go? You go where the deer are. You hope. You go where you're going to see them. Uh, we have to be intentional. If we're going to love the world, if we're going to let it reach out of, of the four walls of the church, starts here, guys. We we have to love one another. We have to be be proactive about that. We got to just decide that's what we're going to do and change our culture. Uh, but then it, it spills out of the walls of this church into our world. But it has to be intentional. We have to look for ways and opportunities. We have to plan for them. We have to pray for them. We have to have them on our heart. How can I love the world? Now I say that, and I'm going to throw out a couple opportunities. We're going to. We're going to have in the next couple of weeks some things for you to be thinking about. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a trip that we're taking this summer. We're going to take a group from uh, from Troy, and we're going to go down to Juarez, Mexico, uh, and, and we're going to build a house. I don't know who the family is right now, but God does. God's already got a family picked out for us, and, and it's a family that makes 50 or $60 a week, and there's no way they'd ever be able to afford to have a house. But we're going to take a group of 15 to 20 people down there. We're going to build them a house, and there's going to be a that maybe hasn't seen God, but at the end of that week, they're going to know what God looks like because we're going to show them what love is. So, so we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks, and hopefully you join with us and, and partner up and be a part of that, that group. Another opportunity, we're going to have several of these. We're going to be working on some of these. And, and I, I, I kind of went out on a limb. In two weeks from tomorrow, we're actually going to uh, hopefully take a group to, uh, uh, to the Haven House, a a uh, homeless shelter for men in St. Joe, and feed them a meal. At least I'm going to be going, and I hope some of you join me, uh, uh, and, or at least help me cook some food to go with us. But but we've signed up, and hopefully that's going to be something we'll do more often. I'll let you know more next week what you can do and how you can help. But we're going we're gonna to start being intentional about things we can do that says to our world around us, uh, you're loved. God has called me to have my passion directed because of my love for him, it's uh, intentional, and uh, and it has to be instinctive. Matthew twenty five tells us the story of the sheep and the goat, where Jesus divides them, and 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 the sheep to one side, and he basically sends them into to, to heaven for eternity. And 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 he you know he said what they they had saw him hungry and fed him and thirsty and gave him something to drink, needed clothes. When did we see? When did we ever see that? When he said when you did the least of these, really, what that tells me is that for those people, it had become instinctive. If we are intentional long enough with our desire to love other people, it eventually becomes instinctual that, that we do it intentionally and then we do it naturally. Because those group of people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, look it up and read it, 
It, I don't remember when I did that. It's because they did it naturally from their heart. We need to put into practice loving others until it becomes instinctive for us. What's the greatest command? Jesus said, love God. It defines your purpose. He said, love others. Because when you love God, it directs your John Croyle, we'll, we'll close here. John Croyle was an All-American defensive end for the University of Alabama. He played for the Hall of Fame coach Bear Bryant. Uh, and in 1973, as All-American, they won the national championship. That name may sound familiar to you. Uh, this may be good or bad. His son, Brody Croyle, played for the Kansas City Chiefs for a few years. Uh, but John Croyle was an All-American defensive end at, at Alabama. Uh, after his freshman or sophomore year, he went to a camp in Mississippi and, and served as a counselor at this Christian camp. He said the first year that he was there, he, he remembers this five-year-old boy came up to him. This five-year-old boy was a, 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 a child from the streets of New Orleans. In, in fact, he said, I remember his story uh, exactly. His mother was a prostitute, and this five-year-old boy was the, the one that took the money and kept track of the time. He would knock on the door and say, Mama, you have another customer. And, and he, he talked to this little five-year-old boy, and he said, I remember sharing with him the plan of salvation. A, a year later, he was working at that same camp, and this same boy, this six-year-old boy now returned, and, and he said to John word for word what he had told him the year before. And Croyle said, I knew then that God had given me a gift. And he began dreaming about building a camp uh, or, or, or a, a ranch where kids could come and live. Kids from the street could come and, and, and uh, uh, find uh, hope and, and love uh, from God there. And so he began to talk about it. He talked to his coach, Bear Bryant, about that. A- after he graduated, he was trying to decide what to do with his life. And, and, and he said he really wanted to go on the NFL to the highest level of participation. And he talked to his coach, Bear Bryant. He said, Coach, what do you think I should do? I'm thinking about going to the NFL so I can earn a lot of money so I can go build this ranch. Bear Bryant said to him, uh, if you go to the NFL, be prepared to marry it. He said, John, don't go, don't play football. Go build your ranch. John Croyle never played another day of football, but he did go build a ranch. And now thousands of young boys and young girls from the street have found a place that they call home, have found a place where they learn about God's love, have found a place where they see who God is because someone loves them. God has called us. God has called us to love him and to love others. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the the simple answer that Jesus gave. Uh, A simple answer, and and yet uh, we could talk uh, on and on and on about what it literally means. But but it really is simple. We're, We're called to make you number one in our life. We're called to prioritize you. We're called to reach out you we're called to to know who you are and we're called to let that direct our passion uh, and that is towards others father i pray for this church i pray for these people i pray for this body lord help us help us find ways to love one another father put it on 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 some hearts today that they're going to reach out uh, and next week uh, they're going to do things that say that say i love you uh, so that we build a culture in this body uh, of love so the world can see you. Father, help, help that then also move outside these walls. Because it's great if it's here, but Father, we've got to move out into a world and show hurting people 
your love as well. Uh, Father, uh, we, we ask this in your name. Amen. If you're here today and, and God's speaking to you, maybe, you're, maybe you don't yet know Him. You don't yet know the hope and the promise that you have through Him. I would invite you to come. Maybe you're here today um, and, and something that was said, a verse that was read, uh, challenged your heart. Maybe you just need to share publicly that, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. God's calling me to something, and I just, I just want to be held accountable. Maybe you're just here and you need someone to pray for you. If you do, would you come?